Humankind has always wanted to create art, and we have always needed tools to do so. When our ancestors in Africa carved their first artsy patterns on seashells all those years ago, they used sharp stones to create their art. The cave painters of Lascaux used mineral paint to create their famous paintings some 17,000 years ago, but the brush was still not invented, so they probably used mats of moss and hair to apply the paint to the stone walls. The actual paintbrush was invented much later. Some believe the shape and form we have today was invented by a Chinese general called Meng Qian, who lived around 300 years BC. Art evolved, and so did the tools, and for hundreds of years those tools stayed more or less the same. Paintbrush for paintings, chisel and hammer for stone sculptures, and, well, hands for clay sculptures. But these days we live in the digital age, and for many artists the new tools of trade are the softwares they use for painting, sculpting, and creating all kinds of digital art. There are softwares for everything you can imagine, and today we're going to zoom in on one of the rising stars on the bright software skies. Today, the yellow brick road leads to Blender. everybody, I'm Nils Lagergren, happy to welcome you to a new year with Yellow Brick Road, our little podcast about visual effects, movies and games. Today we will focus on Blender, and I'm very happy to welcome a man who has become something of an ambassador for it. The Blender man himself, senior character artist and head of modeling department at Goodbye Kansas, Daniel Bistet. Welcome back to Yellow Brick Road. Thank you so much, Nils. How are you today? I am good. Alive and kicking. You've been with us before, uh, for example, when we talked about creating worlds. And even if you did get a brief introduction there, I would love to dig a bit deeper. Uh, how did you start in this business? Yeah, I actually started uh, quite late in uh, my career. I actually worked at a cinema before. Um, mm. And like 27 years of age, I uh, was like, uh, either I do this for the rest of my life or do something else. So I thought like, oh, let's go back to school and study 3D. So I went to Nakrebin here in Stockholm, started uh, between 2007 and 2009. And then uh, I graduated and I worked like uh, a lot in commercial in the beginning, uh, which was uh, a lot of fun, a lot of tight deadlines mm. uh, at a company called Milford. And then I was uh, recruit recruited to um, Black Studios, which uh, later merged into the Goodbye Kansas Studios yeah. together with Fido. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, all fun. <laughs> ever since uh, so now but that's really been an amazing journey and the amazing thing is also that a lot of people from my class back in Nakermin are actually working here in uh, at Goodbye Kansas as well so it's really fun like sort of ties the bag together yeah that's great uh, you, you also worked a lot with the, like concept freelancing and stuff oh yeah <clears throat> I uh, before I started here I uh, did some character freelancing and I was approached by Milk VFX, did a couple of uh, CG characters and creatures for uh, an English TV series called uh, Beowulf, Return mm -hmm. to the Shieldlands, which was very fun to do. 
and you're famous for your tutorials uh, for magazines and online sites. How, how did that start? Yeah, that kind of, I don't really remember how it started, but I guess I um, started like, I think I was approached by one of the um, 3D magazines where if I sent something in and um, I was like uh, assigned to do a tutorial uh, starting with like fiber mesh, like grooming inside of ZBrush. Then it kind of grew on, and um, one of the fun moments was uh, I did a really long ZBrush tutorial for Ryan Kingsley, which I later found out that it was, uh, you know, uh, cracked and uh, you know uploaded on the internet, and that's sort of the feeling that that's when you have arrived when you get, you know. <laughs> and and you were also beta testing for for ZBrush. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I've been um, in touch with ZBrush developers and um, yeah, Paul Gabbery doing a lot of ZBrush testing. Uh, so that's been really fun as well, being able to contribute to that software and yeah, helping out. So how did Blender arrive in your life? Then? Well, it's it's kind of fun because uh, it actually started when I was working at um, Milford back in 2014, I think. So at the time, uh, the studio was using a uh, rendering software called 3D Lights, and I never got the hang of it and thought that like rendering and stuff was really just um, complicated and not all that artist friendly. And I, I saw some video on YouTube about um, Blender and its path tracer called Cycles, and it just looked very simple and approachable. Like you just place light and there you go, like in the viewport directly. Um, and I was really interested in that. So I tried it out and loved it. It was like very easy to start out with. And then I started thinking like, oh, what's, what else is here in this, uh, you know, software? I tried the modeling tools and I was blown away, uh, because suddenly I could like work twice as fast and produce more content. And uh, that was just amazing to me. Will it blend? That is the question. And was Blender uh, totally new software back then? What was the backstory of? Oh no, software? no, no! It, it got a very interesting backstory. Uh, it started with uh, Ton Rosendahl, who developed it like twenty years ago. Oh. And from the start, it was a uh, commercial software, and the um, the people who um, was the like with the funding sort of decided not to continue with it. So it would basically gone down the trash bin. And Anton said like, oh, well, what if I can gather around X amount of money and give it to you, then we can release it as an open source application. Hmm. And the funder said like, yeah, yeah, sure, if you can, you know, collect all that money, then fine. And he went online and you know, was one of the first like, crowdsourcing funding things and he got the money gave it to the funders and then he released it as open source hmm. and basically um, explaining open source is basically that you know it's free to use and anyone can contribute with code so the idea is that instead of having a commercial software with just a couple of developers anyone in the world that wants to contribute can do so by sending in a code uh, patch, basically. And then it's reviewed by the Blender Foundation and then submitted. And this is something that's really, like, really taken off in the last couple of years. And it's, it, it makes it unique, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And 
of course, there are people who think that, you know, why is this not a commercial software? If it was, it would have great benefits. But I kind of think that it's, it's a very good thing that it does something that none of the other 3D softwares does, basically. Mm. Um, because you just have a different approach to things. Yeah. So when you encountered it, it was more or less love at first sight. <laughs> well, not at first, because <laughs> um, I would say coming from another 3D software, everyone that starts with another kind of software is like, oh, I just expect this to work. Mm. just the way I'm used to, you know? So you always have that first, like the, the wall that you kind of run in. And a lot of people are kind of, they, they open it up and like, oh, this doesn't work the way I'm used to. Ah, oh, this is stupid and close it down. But it's amazing when you see, like in this company, when you have uh, artists, they try it out and you are sort of making yourself available to them so that you can explain things to them as soon as they hit that wall and just make sure that they can uh, go back and work and, and, and uh, learn the software easily and don't get stuck. You know, a week pass and then they're like sold and they don't go back to the old software that they were using. Why are you doing this to me? To show you just how much you don't know. Open your eyes. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you are like an ambassador for Blender these days uh, with tutorials and stuff. And uh, How did that happen? Right. Um, yeah, I, I guess it started with just me being... Um, when I realized how much more faster I could work using Blender instead of other applications, I kind of got sold to like, you know, I, <laughs> I want other people to benefit as well. So I tried to, you know, convince other people at work to try it and things like that. And um, then I started, uh, yeah, I also contacted uh, Ton Rosendahl, the CEO of Blender, and um, basically, after a couple of years, I wanted to contribute back, basically, after being using it for free all these years. And uh, so I wrote to him and said, like, I could contribute with uh, some demo scenes and stuff like that, they, that they could share online. And uh, they were that really sold with that idea. They saw the work that I did for Goodbye Kansas with the real-time work for Unity Adam. That project, and uh, then I started sending demo files to them, and yeah, just since they are not a commercial company, so they don't have a PR department or something, so that was really fun to see that the stuff that I did uh, or contributed with was possible for them to like show online and you know at SIGGRAPH and stuff like that, and. Um, it was interesting because at work, um, some people are open to trying new things and some are like just nah I'm just gonna you know go about my old ways and uh, you know not try Blender and I have tried to convince those people verbally mm. but once I like once they saw <laughs> the stuff that I did online and the breakdown they suddenly were sold it's like it's so weird you're trying to break someone down verbally for years and then when they just see what you can do it's so much easier and kind of easier to sell the power of visuals yeah basically <laughs> yeah so w what is it i mean i i know absolutely nothing about it so, so how would you describe blender to a blender dumpwit like me <clears throat> well 
I would say that it's it's very stable and fast uh, compared to other 3D softwares. And the big sell is, as for me, uh, since I'm working as a you know modeler and look dev artist, is that it has a very non-destructive workflow where you, it's kind of like a blend between Maya and Houdini, basically. Hmm. So it's like. Um, being very specific, I would say like my favorite feature is the beveling tool in Blender where you can select edges and choose to tag them with a beveling weight. And that happens procedurally. So you don't, it's, it doesn't change the actual mesh until you commit to it. Yeah. Just, um, in other 3D software, you basically do the bevel and it creates more vertices and edges. Mm. But in Blender, that happens procedurally. So it's kind of like it's not until you export it to another software that it's actually baked into the mesh, so to speak. It's very specific and <laughs> technical, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> that's one of the things. And um, as well, you can work so much faster um, because of all the hotkeys and things. And also, uh, I would say that you, now with the, the real-time rendering engine, uh, Eevee in Blender, you have such a great way of seeing a final representation of your, um, like the image that you're going to render because you can, it's almost like working inside of a game engine. You mm. see the light, you see the shading, you see the model, and everything looks really pretty. And then you can either render that out or switch to uh, the Blender's ray tracing slash path tracer cycles mm. and get like that, you know final film look where it's actual ray tracing and you are keeping the shading and everything. It's just like you're switching between these engines and you don't have to have the hassle of like exporting between different software and things like that. Mm. Uh, is Eevee, that's a fairly new feature? Oh yeah, that was released with Blender 2.8. Um, so it's been in development for like uh, two years, I think. And um, it's a really great developer uh, named Clement uh, who is doing that. And um, it's just amazing uh, the way they're developing and they have a very you know transparent process as well. Every week nowadays, there's like a YouTube um, like vlog, I guess, where um, Pablo just shows the new features and uh, the community can have a look at that and comment and th ask questions. And you also have all the bug reports and feature suggestions are just uh, available for everyone online to read as well. And the amazing thing, like I've been bug reporting on a bunch of different softwares, but bug reporting on Blender is very interesting. Like the fastest response I've gotten is like 24 hours. Like, oh, this is a bug report it, then it's fixed the other day. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. <laughs> I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! So how does Goodbye Kansas use Blender these days? How <clears> is it incorporated <throat> into the pipeline? Well, it's mostly used in the beginning of the pipeline. Uh, we use it a lot in the art department for concepts and things like that. We use it definitely for modeling, uh, layouts, 
and also grooming so we can groom hair and it has a fantastic representation of groom compared to other 3d applications uh, where you in some other applications you just see a, kind of a non-shaded strand of hair uh, and it makes it really hard to read what you have groomed in terms of hairstyle and things like that but in blender you get like proper shading uh, which is very like similar to what you would get in a final render. And then you can export a uh, sparse set of those guide curves, like the, the hair. So let's say you have uh, 200,000 hairs on your head, right? But you just export uh, maybe a thousand of those. And you export it to Houdini or Maya's uh, Yeti plugin. And you just shove it in there and you know build the procedural hair strands from there. Hmm. And the reason uh, that we use it in the beginning of the pipeline is that when it comes to animation and rigging, those needs to be tied together in the same software. And uh, none of the riggers or animators have really gotten into Blender yet. And it's the same with lighting and look dev that needs to happen in the same software as well. Hmm. Like uh, we've been rendering a lot in like Houdini and Mantra. And now we're looking into Houdini and V-Ray. Uh, but uh, a lot of our earlier products was in Maya and V-Ray as well. So that's sort of like, yeah, you don't really, you're not able to use um, Blender later in the pipeline unless you use its own uh, path tracer, basically. Mm. Mm. In one of your tutorials, you, you showed a tiger that you had created. Phil, do not go in the bathroom. Al, just calm down. Phil, there is a tiger in the bathroom. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about that one. Uh, what's the story behind it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the story. I was because um, um, Clement implemented a you know that you can suddenly use hair in the real time render engine, and I was just curious about how far I could push that and how I could make it look as good as possible. So I just figured I would do you now some kind of animal because it has a lot of hair because it's uh, all over that over the body and uh, did a tiger and um, just tried it out did some animation and I'm not an animator in any way uh, so it's a very you know rough animation and stuff mm. but then I got into like oh you know we could, what if we do something fun with the shading as well so um, yeah then I just tried to do this kind of glowy kind of pattern that swirls around on the furs as well and the amazing thing is that if you would do that in another render engine you would basically need to do the changes in the shading editor and then hit render and then you see the changes right or have an IPR going and that doesn't always work out so well you have to stop and restart and things like that to make the shading and the render engine sync but in blender uh, since I had Eevee it was just like connecting nodes and you see I could see directly what happened and hmm. uh, so it really saved a lot of time and it was just like yeah, fun to experiment. You have thousands of followers on social media, and uh, and you have all your tutorials. And how do you come up with these tutorials? I mean, what specific features you want to talk about or such? Um, well, mostly it's been about um, just doing a project in itself, and then when I have a project, I can like show off different uh, features that usually has been implemented in the EV real-time render engine. Um, but it's also, I've done done a bunch of other tutorials for like ZBrush and things like that. And it's very, 
it, it's kind of obvious to me, like working with a lot of different artists, where there are gaps in most people's uh, knowledge. Mm. Uh, so, for instance, I did a tutorial uh, fairly recently about ZBrush and the sort of scaling system when you export and import. And it's one of those things that aren't all that well documented. So there's really a lot of confusion about that. And I see a lot of issues in <laughs> in production when an artist doesn't really know how it works. Suddenly you have a different scale and it's very hard to go back, uh, mm. basically. So I just wanted to get that out once and for all to have it documented so people can have a look at it and understand a bit better. Do you get lots of feedback? Like, Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> too much. It's very hard. It's like uh, people request, um, at for for instance, with a, a Tiger or um, Goodnight Claire and things like that that I've done online, people are always requesting a lot of detailed tutorials. And uh, it's fun that they want to have it, but it's very hard to get the time to do it. I have barely enough time as it is to work on personal products because, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, because this is something you do off office hours. Exactly. And um, I mean, I work at Goodbye Kansas, go home, pick up the kids, uh, you know, spend time with my family, put the kids to bed, spend some time with my wife. And then when the family sleeps, that's when I... That's when you create tigers. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> when I get going. And uh, it's like the only sliver of time left I have in the day to do this kind of things. And it's um, just something that is, you know, it's important to me. Um, it's where I feel that I kind of develop the most mm. because I can choose a subject for my own liking um, compared to working in production where you're like you have a client you have some requests you have to do and when you're working at home you can just choose whatever you want to do mm. so that's yeah so what what has been your best blender moment last years yeah it's um, a lot of moments to choose between <laughs> but it's it's like the best moment is always when you have another colleague who you're, you know, you're trying to get them going with Blender and you try and, and at first they're like hesitant and like, oh, I don't know. It feels like I'm a noob again. I've been doing this for a couple of years. And I, and they're like, yeah, just try it, you know. And the moment you see like when they are over the threshold and they get this sort of like, oh my God moment. Mm. That's the best moment, I think, to me. Uh, just seeing, you know, the direct response, uh, working with people and, and showing them that there's other ways of doing things, you know. Mm. And other than that, I would say that, you know, reaching out to the Blender developers and being in direct contact with them is also amazing. It's, um, it's, uh, it's fascinating. I think a lot of artists in this business are like, uh, they are hesitant to having confidence in yourself and, and, and your art and what you can do and things like that. And perhaps people think they are, you know, not as good as they are. You know, all the people I work with here are amazing artists, but everyone are like, you know, always self-conscious about their, what they can achieve and things like that. And sometimes I feel like perhaps people don't give themselves enough credit and try to, you know, um, take matters in their own hands and reach mm -hmm. out to other people to do this kind of thing. 
So what's next in Blender? What features will we see in the future, you think? Well, that's the interesting thing is that the future is already here because uh, the Blender Foundation always release like a stable version, but every day they release a nightly build. And as soon as someone pushes in a new feature, it's already there. So uh, one of the things released this week uh, was uh, a painting in Udems uh, that Lucas Stockner did. And uh, it's basically <laughs> when you place your UVs on separate Udem uh, tiles <clears throat> and you are able to paint on the model uh, like across the surface and across the Udem tiles. And Blender has sort of missed that feature in terms of reading textures um, that has been, you know, it, it's been existing in other softwares for quite some time. So that's uh, an area where they had lagged behind. But the fun thing is like they didn't just add reading, uh, they added texture painting as well. And you can't really paint over Udems in a bunch of like industry standard uh, the 3D texturing tools. So that's like, oh, they're suddenly ahead of, of, of those, which is interesting. So a bright future with many surprises and great new things. Yeah. Many thanks for coming and, and sharing your, your passion for Blender. Thank you. And uh, if anyone wants to try Blender, you can download it at uh, blender.org. And if you want to support Blender's development, you can go to fund.blender.org and uh, donate as well. Thank you very much. And you out there, thanks for listening. Uh, as usual, you're welcome to mail us suggestions or questions at podcast.goodbycancers.com. Until next time, goodbye, a bientôt, auf Wiederhören, wie hörsch. Yellow Brick Road is written and produced by Nils Lager and the recording was made by Jonathan Forefeldt at Goodback Cancer Studios in Stockholm and edited by Leo Krupa. The Yellow Brick Road theme is produced by Peter Blomstam. No batteries are included.